Welcome, everybody. It's great to see you and everybody watching online and at Montrose. It's great to see you guys also. And uh, thanks for being out here uh, this weekend. When the Browns play the Browns, it's that weekend. And uh, excited uh, to watch the Browns beat the Browns. Something like that. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's a good one. Hey, uh, if you have not uh, grabbed your Christmas tickets yet, do that. And uh, of course, those programs are going to start here in just a few days. And uh, we opened up some stuff, added a service so that specifically, uh, so that if you're bringing friends, you can sit with them and be with them. Uh, so I want you guys to do that and take advantage of it. We'll do our best to make Jesus make sense through those programs and uh, hopefully give you lots of opportunities for conversations. If you're watching online, uh, do that also. Like maybe you watch us normally online. It's a great time to come in, say hi. I know I'd love to meet you. Uh, but uh, go to the website or use the app and grab those tickets and, and uh, be a part of things here this, this, uh, this coming Christmas, all right? So we are going to uh, wrap up a series this weekend that, that we've been talking about. We've been talking about anxiety for a while and uh, just how anxiety and peace and how that plays out and kind of how we walk in life and walk with God. And uh, I was thinking about how to kind of uh, finish this book, so to say, that we've been talking through and working through here these last few weeks. And uh, there's kind of one subject matter that I feel like is missing uh, when it comes to anxiety and how that is affecting our lives. And I want to talk about that this weekend. And that, that is the idea of loneliness and how loneliness plays into, affects, feeds, amplifies our anxiety and, uh, and what we can do, how God addresses that, what we would have to say about it, and then what we can do to kind of participate with God in tackling and dealing with our loneliness. It's, uh, it's interesting, we just did a, a, a survey here as a church. Uh, we were trying to get some research down so that we could better offer like groups and classes and things like that. And uh, those results came in, and here was the results. Here, this is here at Grace Church. Uh, 31% of married people said that they struggle with loneliness. 64% of single people said that they struggle with loneliness. And that is kind of like an ongoing struggle. That's different than like moments when I feel alone or I feel lonely. And so loneliness is like a thing, and it's a pretty significant thing. And uh, whether it's kind of fleeting moments in our lives or whether it's, so to say, chronic uh, it's something that is a part of our lives, something that Christ would want to speak into, uh, something that the church should be and can be a part of. And it's definitely like tied to this, this idea of anxiety and peace and how those two things work together. So loneliness. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I just started asking myself, like, what is loneliness? Because loneliness is not being alone. Right? Those are different things. So there's times that we crave being alone. If you have children, uh, you want to be alone, like a lot. And if the younger they are, the more that you kind of want them out of the house. Uh, you know, fence in backyards with padlocks. It's just an option. It's something to think through. But, but sometimes we want to be alone. Like we're, we, if you are in the people business, if your vocation is that I work with people, I work with customers all day, every day, uh, then when you're done in the end of the day, you don't want to talk to anybody else. Like you want some alone time. So loneliness is not being alone. Sometimes we feel alone when we're surrounded by people. 
So if you've ever gone into a, a, a situation, to a party or to church or to a family event, and you have people kind of coming out your ears, but you feel alone in that moment. So it's not necessarily tied to who's around you. And I would say that there's times, it's not even tied to depth of relationships all the time, because you can be with very intimate friends uh, or with your family, people that you should have deeper relationships with, and you can feel alone or lonely in that moment. If you've ever felt like a third wheel, uh, that's what that is, right? You know, there's a group of friends, but somehow I'm the odd person out, and you're feeling that loneliness. So what is loneliness? It's not the state of being alone, and it's not the, the so, therefore the solution is not get around people all the time. Uh, it's not the, the sense that, like, I just don't have deep friendships, because you might have deep friendships, and still feel alone. So what is it? This is my definition, all right? So here's my definition of loneliness. Loneliness is this. Loneliness is when the clicker doesn't work and you're all by yourself on the platform. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, loneliness is not feeling known or seen when you deeply desire to be known and seen. That's what I think loneliness. It's not feeling known or seen when you deeply desire to feel known or seen, right? So there's times that we don't want to be seen, right? That when I go to Walmart or when I'm really spending money and I go to Target or Gabrielle Brothers uh, and I don't want to be seen, so you take off like down the underwear aisle, like you're like working around so you don't bump into a bunch of people, right? So there's times I don't want to be seen and there's times I don't want to be known, right? I, I run into this a lot. Uh, when, I, when I meet people, you know, the obligatory question is, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I, oh, man, I don't want to tell you what I do for a living. Because if I tell you, you're either going to confess your sins to me immediately, forgive me, Father, I have sinned, and hide your beer, or you're going to tell me everything you don't like about the organized church. That, that's usually what happens. And so there's time, and you, you got your own situations. There's times you don't want to be seen. There's times you don't want to be known. Loneliness is about this desire, there's a desire. There's times when I really want to be seen. I feel like I need to be seen. And there's times when I really want to be known or I need to be known. And so loneliness is not me not just happening. Loneliness is not me being by myself or me being with a group of people. Loneliness is tied to this desire of the heart. And what, what do I need at this moment or what do I want at this moment and then is that desire of the heart being fulfilled some way in my life, right? Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about why this happens. Why do we as human beings struggle with loneliness? And the answer I'm gonna give you is maybe a, a little bit of a weird one. The, the reason we become lonely, ready, this is the weird part, is because we're created in the image of God. So the reason that we become lonely as human beings is because we're created in the image of God. And what that means in part is it means that we're created as relational beings. So God is a relational being. God is in relationship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's in this eternal relationship with himself, so to say. And then God is in a relationship with us. So God just doesn't want us to know about him or to look and say, I, I saw an icon or I saw a picture and I acknowledge God. He doesn't want to just like 
be information or be something that I see. God has this desire from himself to us to be known and seen by us and us by him. And so loneliness is, is not, when you're lonely, ready? This is a little weird. There's nothing wrong with you. Loneliness is not insecurity. Uh, loneliness is not a shallowness. Loneliness is not this need to have people affirm you all the time. Those are other issues. When I feel lonely, my heart is telling me something. It's telling me that I'm not in the relationships with Jesus ultimately and then with the people around me the way that God created me to be in those relationships. Because God created me in his image. God is a relational being. He's a relational God. That's, how, that's why we would say God wants a personal relationship with you or God knows you. The Bible, I think, teaches us that very clearly. And us being created like God, the spiritual side of us, our soul, is where that loneliness comes from and what, and what drives that, right? It's fascinating, when, when you look at the scripture, uh, and you go all the way back to the beginning, so God is creating, right? And he creates the heavens and the earth, and he says it's good. He creates day and night, he says it's good. He creates animals, he says it's good. So he goes and he creates all these things. In the process of all of that creation, there's only one part of creation that God finished it and he said it's not good or it's incomplete. And we see this in Genesis chapter two, verse 28. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. The only part of God's creation that he looked at and he said this is not good or this is incomplete was the aloneness of humanity. I just created Adam, he doesn't have anybody like him who can see him or know him or interact with him the way that I created him. That's not good, so I'm gonna create a helper who is just right for him. Somebody who can know him and who could understand him. It's not good to be alone, we were created in such a way that we are relational, and in that creation, when God was like solving that problem, so to say, for humanity, what he did was he created a relationship with somebody else, and that relationship is a helping relationship. I am created to receive help from other people to see and be known, and I am created as a human being to give help to other people, to see and to know other people. And God created me to, to be kind of in that relational dance, so to say. So that when I am not seen and known by other people, I feel alone. And when I see other people and I know them, I help them, I alleviate my aloneness. When I receive, I alleviate my aloneness. When I give, I alleviate my aloneness. Because as a human being, in order to not be alone, being a helper is who God created me to be. And so when I receive and I give, it makes the relational side of me work. It causes me to function, so to say, the way that God created me to be and the way that God is himself in some aspects. This is why um, friends help me not be alone. So when I, it's, not, it's not just that they're, they're in my presence but when a friend asks me a question, 
when a friend wants to know about what's going on in my life, when a friend bears a burden with me, when they cry with me, when they rejoice with me, it helps me not be alone. Sometimes that is in pain. Uh, I've had people, you have had, I'm sure too, they share their heart, they're in pain, they feel heard, they feel loved. Sometimes it's rejoicing. I had a friend recently say to me, he said, uh, he said, Jeff, he said, I have all this wonderful stuff going on in my life. I don't tell anybody about it because everybody thinks I'm bragging. He said, if something awesome happens in my life, can I call you and tell you? And I said, yes. And he started to weep. And about three or four weeks later, he called me. He said, Jeff, you're not going to believe this. And I said to him, I said, bro, I am so happy for you. That is so amazing. And he started to weep. Because he was seen and known in that moment. So it's in our pain, we can feel isolated. It's in our victory, we can feel isolated. And when friends engage us, or whatever that is, wherever we're in those places, it takes that aloneness away from us, right? Now the same thing happens with family when it's healthy. Family celebrates with you. Family grieves with you. The same thing happens in the church when it's healthy is your, 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 your spiritual family celebrates with you, grieves with you, goes through life with you. They're all excited when the baby's born and they're by your side when, when, when your parent dies. Okay? And when you do that dance, when you give that help and you receive that help, you wind up being healthy, so to say, and being in that place that, that God created you to be. Okay, now... When we're not there, and when that's not playing out in our life, what's going on? So what can we identify so that we can look and say, this is where I'm off kilter with this, or this is where I need to be. Here's what I have observed, just my observation. I've observed that the two paths that tend to lead to loneliness are fascinating things. And I think there's about two of them and if you said, Jeff, there's 10, I wouldn't argue with you. But I don't want to keep you here, you know, till New Year's. So if we said there's two of them, I think there's two main things that lead us to loneliness. And the Bible speaks to both of these things. And I want to show you this real quick, okay? So here's the first thing. The first path that I think leads to loneliness in our culture today, so to say, is the misplacement of purpose, the misplacement of purpose. And when I misplace my purpose, it's going to lead me to isolation. Now, what's fascinating is this is not a modern North American thing. This is a human thing. And as a human being who was designed to help and be helped, the helper who was designed to help and be helped, when I misplace that purpose, it leads me to isolation, and it causes me to feel deeply lonely. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes, this is how he said it. He said, I have observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? 
it is also meaningless and depressing. So the writer of Ecclesiastes stopped and he kind of identified that. He goes, I, I can tell you something that, that, is, that will just take you down a path. It is when you work and achieve and live your best life alone. And there's nobody in your life that is benefiting or sharing or enjoying that with you. You're gonna get to the end of your life and you're gonna say every time, every human being who's ever done this is gonna say this, why did I do that? Because now I'm all alone, I'm surrounded by this stuff, it has no meaning and it's depressing to me because I didn't embrace the purpose of helping and receiving help. Right now, one of the reasons why we live in a culture that is hyper-connected, hyper-connected while being extremely isolated. One of the reasons why that paradox is at play in our culture is because underneath that paradox is a false teaching that's gonna lead you to a meaning and depressing life every time. And that false teaching is this, is that my life is best spent lived for me. And if I live my life for me, if I can do whatever I want to do, if I can achieve whatever I want to achieve, if I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish, a lie has been told that if you pursue that, you will wind up happy. And in reality, what's gonna happen is this, you are gonna be known by millions and loved by none. And it is depressing and it is meaningless. And I see this happen all the time. I see this happen with people who have tremendous financial success but nobody loves them. In fact, their wealth isolates them from real relationships and they're not sure who loves them for them and who loves them for what they can get from them. I see this happen with people who get to do what they want to do all day. They get to feed their addictions. I've set up life for myself so that I can sit in the basement and I'm able to play video games 10 hours a day. That's what I wanna do. And they can do it and they can survive, they figure out how to do this, but it's all alone, it's meaningless, and it's depressing. I see this happen in people who achieve great fame. They have millions of followers, you guys have seen it. Millions of followers, massive influencers, known by many, and they'll end up taking their own life because they're loved by none. And underneath that lie, Underneath this paradox of I'm known, I'm hyper-connected, but I'm extremely isolated, is that lie that my life should be lived for myself. And when I live my life for myself, the writer of Ecclesiastes can affirm and did, you know, years and years ago, said, I can show you something that's meaningless. It's that guy. That guy is gonna be depressed. And it doesn't matter what he has, it doesn't matter what he gets to do, it doesn't matter how much freedom he says, it doesn't matter that he or she lived their best life now, they didn't live their life for anybody. And when you live like that, 
Ready? You're actually living counter to your humanity as created by God. Because God created you to share your life. You feel alone because there's no one helping and you feel alone because you're helping no one. And the very antidote to aloneness is simply embracing the real purpose as to why we were created by God. We were created to share our lives and to allow other people to share their lives with us. Here at Grace, that's what we mean by biblical community. I'm giving my life to somebody and I'm allowing somebody to give their life to me. When you go through the scriptures, this is all the one another statements. Pray for one another, rejoice with one another, bear with one another, confess your sins with one another. That's what all of that is, see? It's just sharing my life and allowing somebody to share my, their life with me. And when I misplace that purpose, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, so predictable, when you're all alone, it winds up being meaningless and it winds up being depressing. So my observation is that one of the big pathways to loneliness is that, it's that misplacement. Now here's what I wanna say. When I say that, I want you to hear that diagnostically, not judgmentally. The reason I want you to hear it diagnostically and not judgmentally is because that's what we've been taught. That's what we've been taught. We've been taught to achieve, we've been taught to live for ourselves, we've been taught to do our thing. And when you've been taught something and it's been emphasized and pushed into your life like crazy, you tend to do what you're taught. Jesus is coming in, maybe in this moment, and he's disrupting that norm. And all I wanna do is show you, like, that doesn't work. We kinda know it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because your creator created you to help and be helped, all right? Now, here's the other path. And again, this is diagnostically. I'm just giving my observations. The other path that I see lead to loneliness a lot is this one. It's the presence of pain. It's the presence of pain. And pain in our lives, emotional, physical, spiritual pain, pain in our lives is one of the most isolating things that ever happens in our lives, right? If you have ever lost a loved one and after the funerals and after the flowers and after the meal trains, there's a point, it happens to every single person, there's a point where your best of friends with the greatest intentions and the deepest love for you will return to their life and you will look and say, I don't have my life to return to. And we'll say it this way. It will say like the world moved on and I'm still here in this pain. It's the most isolating feeling. If you've ever had the death of a dream, everybody made varsity but you. And you're, you're even trying to be happy for your friends, but you're grieving deeply. Uh, you're struggling with infertility and your, your friends are having babies and you're not. And you're trying your best to be... But it's, that pain is isolating, right? And we could go on and on and on. Pain in our hearts is one of the most isolating things that the psalmist captured it well. 
when he wrote this, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and with sorrow in my heart every day? Whatever it is in your life that has brought you to this proclamation, where you're looking at God and saying, God, listen, how long? Because this isn't like, God, how long do I have to sit in traffic? This is anguish, anguish in my soul. This isn't like, oh, that really stinks. We didn't make the movie on time. This is sorrow in my heart. And a lot of times, anguish and sorrow is not tied. It's not tied to something you did. It's not tied to a sin. It's not tied to a consequence. A lot of times, it's tied to things that are very good that you desire to be a part of. Things that are very pure, like loving someone else, but they passed away. And when we're in those places of pain, we cry out to God, and it is a time that we feel deep, deep sorrow, anguish, isolation, loneliness, right? Sometimes that's grief, sometimes that's trauma, sometimes that's abuse or neglect or abandonment, but the idea is that you have suffered a loss or been sinned against in some way. Now, here's what happens when you go through pain. When you go through pain, you can make a statement like this because you're lonely and you're isolated and you're traumatized. You can say a statement that is true and false simultaneously. Ready? True and false simultaneously. Here it is. No one can relate to what I'm going through. That's how you feel when you're in pain. And that statement is true and false simultaneously, okay? It is true that when you go through the anguish of the heart and the sorrow of the heart, the anguish of the soul, it is true that no one else can experience what you're experiencing, right? So let's take a physical death as an example. So when my dad died, my mom and dad lived with me. So when he died, I have three other siblings. There's the four of us. I have our six children who lived with their grandfather. I had my mother, his wife, my wife, Heidi, and me. So I have all these people tied to my dad dying and then his other grandchildren, etc. When I say nobody can relate to what I'm going through, that statement is true. Because only I had my relationship with my dad. Heidi, who loved my dad deeply, only she had her relationship with my dad. Our children, who just adored their grandfather, each one of them, only they had their relationship. See how it works? So when I look and say, nobody can understand what I'm going through, there's truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. That this relationship, my dream was crushed. All I ever thought about was wanting this. Is it such a bad thing to want to be married? Is it some, why can't I have the child? Why can't we overcome? When I'm going through the anguish of the soul and the sorrow of the heart, it is true that only I can relate to that. That is true and false. So only I can relate to it 
But there's two people, we'll say, who can relate deeply, one can relate perfectly, and the other can relate empathetically. The one who can relate perfectly is Christ, who is a man of sorrows. And Jesus can relate perfectly to what you are going through. So when I'm grieving something as close and painful as the loss of my father, I'm not grieving it alone. My brother, Jesus, my co-heir, is standing with me, grieving that loss with me. I also have people who cannot relate perfectly, but they can relate empathetically. Because if you've ever lost your dad and you were close to him, you have an understanding of my pain. And I have an understanding of yours. If you've ever lost a dream, you have an understanding of my pain. And I have an understanding of yours. And the scripture says that one of the reasons that we are comforted by God is so that we can comfort other people. When you didn't make varsity, so happens I didn't make varsity. I cannot understand you perfectly, but I can understand you empathetically. And what that means is that in my aloneness, there is hope. There, there's help. People who can help me and people that I can help. A God who will help me and even heal me. And a God that I can allow to use me to give his help and love to somebody else. So as I observe just kind of life a little bit, I see those two paths play out. I see that when we misplace our purpose, it's isolating, it makes us lonely. And I see when there's the presence of pain, it's isolating and it makes us lonely. And I think on a high level, if you tracked back why you feel the way that you feel, it's tied to one of those two things almost all the time. Right? The emotion of loneliness or the sense of loneliness is not a punishment. It is not a shortcoming. It is a part of your humanity. God created you that way. So when I feel that feeling of loneliness, what that is to do in my life is that is to kind of trigger into my life, taking a look again, saying, okay, If this feeling is from God, if you created me this way, what is the solution that God would have me to do? And here's what's fascinating. God's antidote to loneliness for the the misplacement of purpose and for the presence of pain, his solution for both of those things is the same. And if I could could get you to kind of walk out of here and I I could get you just to remember one word. When, when, When you're lonely, and it feels overwhelming, and you feel all isolated even though you're surrounded by your dreams, if you could remember one word. And when you're in pain, when, when you have an anguish of the soul and a sorrow of the heart, and you, it feels overwhelming, it, one word. When all that, all that triggers that anxiety, and it triggers that insecurity, and it triggers that worry, and it triggers that depression, and it triggers that identity crisis, right? When you're in that spot, 
If I could get you to remember one word, if I was gonna get one word tattooed on my forearm to help specifically with loneliness, this is the word I would want you to get. Ready? Here's the word. I want you just to remember the word helper. Helper. And I want you to see that God who created you in a relationship, the God who said it is not good, it is not good for man to be alone, I will make for him a helper. God who recognized that being alone is not good created the antidote. This passage is not a passage on marriage. It's a passage on humanity. It is not good for mankind to have no one that is like his kind. So I'm going to create a helper. And I'm gonna create another human being so that as human beings feel alone, the way that they can alleviate that aloneness is they can help one another. The Apostle Paul says it in Galatians chapter six, he calls it carrying each other's burdens. I'm going to help you and I'm gonna allow you to help me. And when I'm alone, I'm gonna do that dance. I'm gonna do that dance. I'm gonna give myself away and I'm gonna allow somebody to give themselves away from me. That's what causes community. That's what causes biblical relationship. That's what alleviates aloneness. So when you're alone and you feel lonely, looking and saying, how can I be a helper? How can I see other people who, have, who feel unseen and feel unknown, how can I help them? And then you flip it. When I feel alone and I feel unseen and I feel unknown, how can I allow other people to see me and know me? Maybe I have to tell them about my pain. Maybe I have to come out of the basement and interact with other human beings. Maybe I have to get into biblical community and start the process of being vulnerable so that people can be invited into my life. How can I help them and how can I allow them to help me? And that's God's antidote to being lonely. And what happens, guys, as you do this, when you first start to do it, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. Because the reason you feel alone is because that dance got, the rhythm of that dance got thrown off. So when I'm trying to get back into that, you know, Congo line, it's really awkward to butt, to butt into that. I'm going to have to make that move, and I'm going to have to move into that. And I'm going to have to start living a life where my life is not lived for me, it's lived for Christ, which means it's given to others. I'm gonna have to start living a life where I look and say, I, I, I'm willing to receive help. I'm in pain. I'm used to being the helper, but now I have to receive it from somebody else. And when I start getting back into that dance, what you're gonna see is the anxiety is gonna start to come down. The isolation is gonna start to come down. The perspective on life is gonna start to come down. The, the enormity of your problems is still gonna start to be minimized. Because I'm involving myself with other people and I'm allowing them to involve themselves with me. And this is not self-help. And this is not being a better version of you. 
This is literally acting and living in the way that your creator created you to act and live, right? And Jesus joins in that process and he empowers it and he causes it to affect and to heal you deeply. And as we give our lives away the way that he gave his life away and we play that out in real time, it winds up being life-changing for us. And the fears and the insecurities and the anxieties, it's not a magic pill. It's not that you will never be fearful or anxious or insecure again. It's not the way that works. But it starts to alleviate that. And as you pick up those relationships, it starts to change how you feel and how you think. This summer, uh, the, our elders, our church leaders, sent me on a sabbatical, and I'm always grateful when they do that. Um, they they kind of make us go, and uh, I needed to go. I needed to go pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty deep fried over the last couple years, and it was fascinating. Um, I, got, I started the sabbatical, and what I said was, I want to be left alone. Just leave me alone. Like, I'm so tired of everybody's opinion, and I'm so tired of like the email and the Instagram and the somebody, I'm like, just leave me alone. I want to be left alone the rest of my life. And so I'm just going to start with a sabbatical. And so I went and I was alone. It was great. I, it was great. I, I built patios and I hung out on in our, in our property and I just loved it. And I would go the whole day and not talk to anybody. It was fantastic. And nobody saw me. It was great. The way our property is set up, uh, you don't really know that we're back there, which is awesome, which means if I see you back there, I'm calling the police or handling it myself. And so it was just fantastic, you know. And then what was great, I started to notice this, I, because I was like in, in shorts and Carhartts and cutoffs and look, you know, like a, a farmer or something like that. I go to the store, people wouldn't recognize me. I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, this is the disguise. All I gotta do is kind of smell. People leave me alone. And so I wasn't, I wasn't known, I wasn't seen, and it was great. And just kind of hanging out with Heidi and my dog. And, it, and it, was, it was awesome. Six weeks later, at the end of sabbatical, this is fascinating, I started to get depressed. I started to get depressed. And I started to get anxious and insecure. And I started to question God's calling on my life and God's purpose on my life. And, and I, I started wrestling with all that on a really, really deep level. And what was fascinating is I started to make up things about you guys. I'm like, you know what? I don't think the church loves me. You know what? I think they're just difficult. There's people here, Michigan people like ravens people, you know what I mean? Like, like, like I just don't, and, and so I started to run all that. There, you know, there's probably this, they take me for granted, I can't believe it, they don't know how blessed they are. Like all this stuff. It's just, I, I didn't say it out loud, I just run it in my mind. And, and, but it's, it's amazing where my, my mind went. Heidi picked up on this and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm okay. And she said, uh, she goes, do, do you need to, uh, to be on sabbatical longer. Like, do, do we need to call the elders and say, you know, he needs ne- another six weeks and like, you know, some therapy. And I looked at her and I said, um, I said, actually, I think I need to go back. I, I said, I, I think I've been in the backyard by myself too long. <laughs> and I said, I think, I think that's why my thoughts are running wild and my feelings are running wild. 
And, uh, and she said, well, if you go back, are you gonna be okay? I said, I don't think I should probably make any major decisions uh, the first week back. But I, this is what I said to her. I said, honey, I, th- I feel like an athlete that blew his knee and has done the rehab, and I actually need to get like back on the field and take a hit. And I, I just need to like feel it again, right? Now, this was fascinating. So I came back, kind of looking forward to seeing you guys, but I mean, most of you. But, but it's funny, every week back, I've been happier. Like every week back, I've been happier. Because what, what happened was my aloneness started to alleviate. And, and I needed to start giving my life away again. Right? Breaks are great. Take your vacation, don't talk to anybody. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm like, if I, I, had, I stopped giving my life away and sharing my life and it made me unhappy. And then I started to hang out with you guys. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm rec- like, it's good to see you. And like my first week back, I was like, really? You know? But I'm like, I started to receive the help. And the dance got its rhythm back. Before sabbatical, the dance got off rhythm. But I needed to get the rhythm back. Being a helper is not denial. Being a helper is not forsaking being alone sometimes. Because I need to be alone sometimes. My my business, quote unquote, is people. So sometimes I'm like, I need to be left alone for a minute. It's not what we're talking about. Whenever I feel lonely, it's because I'm out of step with the dance. And I, wanna, I need to look and say, which part of it, am I not receiving? Or am I not giving? But I feel this way because I'm not in rhythm with what my creator created me to do. God created you to share your life. And when you decide to move on that, it's not always gonna feel great. I, I have, I'm just being honest with you. You gotta kinda make the move. After a season of mourning, you kinda have to make the move. After a season of isolation, you kinda gotta have to make the move. But what you'll find, prayerfully, especially within the people of God, is other people who will share their life with you and allow you to share their, your life with them. And as you do that back and forth, that's what we call family, that's what we call friendship, that's what we call love, it's just dancing. That's how that works, right? And it's, it's fascinating to me that that was God's solution be the helper. Give your life and receive from somebody else, okay? Christmas season is the ultimate. It's the ultimate of God coming to help us. And in his example, 
and because of his love, we can give our lives to other people. When I live a life of a misplaced purpose, I live selfishly. When I live a life defeated by pain, I live defeatedly. When I live the life I was created to live, I live victoriously. And that's the life that our Savior came to give to us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, love you. Thank you. And thank you that you don't leave us alone. That you came to give yourself. You didn't come to be served, but to serve. You came to lay your life down so that you would take it up again. You didn't come to condemn, you came to save. God, you came to give to us. And God, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you would give your only son. Jesus, we're grateful that you would humble yourself, taking on the very nature of a servant, and that you would dance with us, God, and that you would help us, and then you would even allow us to help you. We're a part of your plan, and a part of your kingdom, and a part of how the good news spreads, and the joy of that. So Jesus, I pray specifically for the lonely. And God, some of us are hurting. We're hurting. It's an anguish of the soul. It's a suffering, sorrow of the heart. God, if you would help and heal and be present and allow your people to be present. God, some of us are just living for ourselves. And uh, we're starting to see the meaninglessness of it. So God, would you help us to know the way, find new and exciting ways to share our life, bring people into our lives, bring, bring your kingdom and its causes into our lives. Would you just work in a powerful way? So God, in these moments, would you just spur us through your spirit? And God, would you help us just for a quiet few moments to rest and kind of relish in your love for us.